Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. And last week, I think I said at the end of the episode, maybe we'll have some silly season news. Well, we didn't <laughs> have to wait very long. <laughs> Boy, on... did we? Because I think minutes after we hit publish last week, there was a report uh, that Connor Daly was out of a ride at Ed Carpenter Racing, that they had split. And then, lo and behold... Uh, well, that was the news, and that is, of course, the the main story this week that we will start out with, um, along with several other stories that we will get to. Um, and it's race week. Yeah, it's race week at Road America. The Suncio Grand Prix at Road America, a repaved yes, Road America. So I expect I think, some, some track records to be set. Yes, I I would too, and, and that's not the only track that we should expect track records to be set at as Laguna Seca also got a repave as well. But so we, we start, we'll have the Connor Daly out to ECR Ryan Hunter Ray in for the remainder of the season, which I think was a massive surprise. I think just about anyone. Um, obviously we have some schedule news. So the, the cat kind of got out of the bag on, on one of the things that I'd saw from a tra- translated article and now out there uh, talking about, International races. Races, and plural. Plural, yes, because not just uh, Argentina at play. We'll get to that. Plus, I got something from a very reliable source oh. uh, about uh, next year's schedule as well and what to expect. And that, that, was, c- that was not mentioned in, in the article. Mm, so. Now, did that come out of your weekly lunch with Roger Penske? No. Oh, okay. No, I, I didn't know if you guys talk shop like yeah, that. Yeah, no. I mean, we usually try to keep it not work-related. Sure. So. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I understand that. Just talk about the families and everything. Just yeah. getting caught up. Yeah, sure, you know. Sure. How, how are the kids it. doing? You know, what what are some side projects and hobbies uh-huh. you're, you're interested in and working on? Yeah. That kind of stuff. I mean, you can't talk job all the time. Yeah, you can't always talk shop. But yeah. Uh, so we'll have that plus obviously it's race week. So we'll get into that as well at road America. So we're back plenty to get to. We thought about an emergency pod decided against it last week. So here we are. And I think we have plenty to dive into this week. So first off Connor Daly out of Ed Carpenter racing, there was a, a bit of a rift. In fact, I think the the first thing we should have seen this coming before. Because I saw something when I was just reading different content and checking the forums and everything. There was something I saw that really piqued my interest that I had not seen really anywhere on on social media that anyone commenting about. And I thought, this is a pretty ominous headline and story that really kind of changed the way I, I looked at this news. So first off, this story that came out, Several weeks ago, this was before the Indy 500 from motorsportweek.com, Daily opened to idea of bringing BitNile sponsorship to new team. Huh. Hmm. Again, this is before the Indy 500, um, and I thought this was a fascinating headline. I was shocked I hadn't seen it before, but there's some some really interesting things. Uh, he said, asked if, if he had any sponsorship deals lined up for next season. Connor said, no, not yet. Uh, Todd is Todd Alt, CEO of BitNile has been super faithful to me and he's very loyal. That all happens after May. You start thinking about things, talking about sponsorship in the next year. Um, he said, this year has been awful for everyone in our group so far. So we want to be better. You want to search for the best opportunities to succeed for both yourself and your sponsor. So we'll see what happens. Realistically, I'm here because I brought a sponsor anyway. 
I'll go anywhere as long as I've got my sponsor. I hope. <laughs> Doesn't have that sponsor anymore. Then, as far as what he wants to do, uh, as far as in the future, as far as if his any 500 performance will impact any future deals, he said the 500 is always important no matter the situation. Yes, I, I mean, that's a given. Um, and, and then he said, we just look at it as a separate deal compared to everything else, but I'm going to continue for sure. That's definitely what I'm going to aim to do. We'll see. But I just find the whole story fascinating. This comes out before the Indy 500 after qualifying Connor qualified 16th for Indy. It's almost like this should have been a massive red flag. And I just don't think we caught it. Well, I think it was a massive red flag within ECR. I don't know if this, story in particular was the impetus no of it but here's the thing with with, with connor daly and bit nile and ecr is i think connor daly brought in bit but let's be honest like how it came about was basically a random chance meeting in vegas yeah it wasn't like connor daly sought this out and put all the the efforts into it at least to find this it was basically a chance meeting in vegas okay so let's get out in front of this is this isn't something that connor daly uh, cultivated over weeks and months and years. I mean, this is a dude that just ha- so happened to to be in the right place at the right time out in Vegas. But I think Connor Daly had an elevated opinion of himself in the sense that he brought the sponsor on board to Bit Nile at ECR. So I think maybe the rift began with maybe Connor Daly overstepping. And I think this is a our article that points that out. Like, where else do you see? In IndyCar, anybody talking about a sponsor on board, even with Zach Veach, because so many people want to make the comparison with Zach Veach and Gamebridge, is we ever heard Zach Veach say anything like what Connor Daly said in that article about, oh, my sponsor's on board with Gamebridge and, and we're, he's loyal to me and maybe we'll go somewhere else if things don't work out. We have a, you know, as long as we're together and he's extremely loyal to me, blah, blah, blah. It just seems like you're talking out of turn. Is, is yeah, I guess you brought Bit Nile into the team. But look where you're at now. You don't have a ride and bit Niles with ECR. So obviously they weren't as loyal to you as you thought they were. And I think a lot of this had to do with the rift with Connor Daly. And I think he just kind of overstepped his bounds. We heard him, um, you know, open mic uh, during qualifying. <laughs> um, I the think F-bomb. that was, which I don't think that, no, that in particular, but I think it showed too. Maybe the 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 aggressiveness or maybe the the over aggressive Connor Daly speak in that, hey, you guys are letting me down. I'm the one who brought this sponsor in. I deserve better. Bit and I'll deserve better. And Ed Carpenter was tired of it. And I think that's really what happened. And, and I can't confirm this, but I had seen stuff out there beyond that funny instance, you know, in qualifying. But he obviously had to have been frustrated that his pace in qualifying was not at the same pace as the other ECR cars. Um, obviously in the race, I mean, he was solid. He's top 10, another top 10 for him. Yeah. No, never really a factor at the front. Like he had been a, a couple of times in previous years, but a solid top 10, he was moving his way through the field, uh, a solid race for him at Indy once again. But there had been rumblings of him saying other stuff on the team radio, talking, complaining about the car and like drivers do this from time to time. Right. right? Clearly, a line, at least in Ed's mind, had been crossed based on what had been happening. This and then Indy, you know, you have a good result. You move on to Detroit. 
but obviously something must have changed there to the point where well, it just became untenable. I, I think it maybe happened even before the race that no matter what happened, obviously outside of maybe a top five or something or a win, obviously, and, and Connor Daly was going to be gone. And, and just the, 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 the fascinating aspect of this is Connor Daly thinking that Bit Nile was behind him and would follow him wherever he goes. And Bitnile still still at ECR, and maybe at the end of the season we see Bitnile go away from ECR. I don't know, but the fact that they're going to be on their cars this weekend shows that Connor Daly was way off in how loyal he thought Bitnile was. I know there's a lot of people that were that were too bad for Connor and all this stuff. No, I I, th- I played this place this firm firmly in Connor's side that he overstepped, man. Uh, from everything we understand and reading between the lines and all that. Is uh, is Ed? Ed was basically tired of of his his uh, approach to everything, and that article really gives you an inside look at what Connor's mindset was. Is me and Bitnile deserve better, and we're going to take uh, this somewhere else if things don't turn around, and blah blah blah. And I think him throwing that around enough really seriously damaged that um, that relationship with with Ed Carpenter. And maybe even turn Bitnile off from Connor Daly, and that's why he's without a ride, and Bitnile's still on the cars at ECR. And now in that article in Motorsport Week, he never directly said, "Yes, I'm shopping my ride because Bitnile's going with me." But he all but said it, right? Oh, basically, and, and, and yeah, I think it was that's, insinuated that's the, the, the part. And also, Marshall Pruitt, when he broke the story, I mean, reading between the lines. It, it, you know, a lot of people could say, well, on track performance, but Marshall Pruitt, racial.com, when when he posted the initial report and then everything came out not long after, but Marshall saying, although the conclusion of the relationship between ECR and Daily is understood to be one that has more to do with interpersonal relationships than the Hoosiers on track results, the reset by the team with the number 20 Chevy also created an opportunity to draft in the longstanding Andretti Autosport driver talking about Ryan Hunter Ray to get a handle on what the program will need to vie for routine podiums and wins when the new season begins in 2024. I also wonder, like, does Bitnile continue? Like, obviously, they're set on the car, but I think Marshall's had some comments talking about how, yes, Bitnile's all over the cars, but it's not funded like your Meyer Shank cars, your uh, Ray Hall Letterman Landigan cars, as far as teams, you know, similar teams in the pack. I mean, even the coin cars, you know, perhaps sure. could have at, at the same or even better funding when you look at it. Um. Yes, they're, they're they're not at the level of the the Penske's, the Ganassi's, the Andretti's, the McLaren's. But we already knew that, right? That's right. not a surprise. So that's something to keep in mind with this. And and when you look at the results, Connor has actually had a better finishing result than Renus VK uh, out of the seven races this year that they ran together. Uh, he had a better finishing position in four of them. Problem is, he didn't have the the top end results. Connor has just the, the, the one top 10. He's eighth at Indy. Meanwhile, for Renus VK, he's up a, a few spots higher just simply because he qualified better and led some laps at Indy. I mean, his best result's 10th, but VK in 15th, Daly in 20th, it just shows you how competitive the midfield's become. This has nothing to do with the results. This has no. everything to do with the relationship that was fractured between Ed Carpenter and Connor Daly. And just so happens that Connor Daly overstepped he stated things that he thought were true and weren't in terms of the loyalty for his sponsor. And now that's why he's out of the series. And it seriously, and, and I think Marshall Pruitt was the one that wrote this, seriously damages his future in IndyCar based on what happened with this. Okay. So owners talk. 
and Ed Carpenter is, is not going to be shy about telling under other owners when they ask, hey, what was the deal about? And Ed Carpenter being honest. And I know people were all over Twitter about feeling sorry for Connor Daly, but I feel like this is on Connor Daly. And let's let's be honest. This dude has gotten a fair shot in IndyCar. Yes. He has and- 104 starts and one podium. Okay? Any other person, any other driver, in my opinion, that's not related to Derek Daly and the stepkid of Doug Bowles is probably not getting the amount of, of opportunities that, that, that Connor Daly has gotten. And, and people will cry, well, you can't point to nepotism, but nepotism is big in auto racing, okay? And, and that's a huge deal. And you look at Connor Daly, and, and even, you know, I read this somewhere where, oh, you know, if only he had been in a competitive car, right? He didn't do anything to ever deserve getting promoted to one of the big three or big four teams. No, you, you and at, he had a shot. I mean, it was brief with Andretti where he ran fairly well in a couple of races but that was a part-time didn't, like yeah what, it was like, do, a, like what, two or two, three two race deal and yes didn't do enough to, to have that tune it to, and people want to say well if he'd only gotten a shot look you have to prove yourself at some of the lower teams to get promoted look at joseph newgarden and what he did at sarah fisher hartman racing and ed carpenter racing you look at will power he raced for kv racing and what team australia yeah and champ yeah. car, or yeah, car yeah, yeah. you know like you he they showed enough to then get hired by a team Penske. Okay. So don't come at me with Connor Daly didn't get a fair shot, or if only he had been hired by a better team and, and, and in a, in better equipment, he had more than enough time to prove himself and, and not necessarily win races, but at least show himself as being competent um, with Carlin and, um, with Andretti with that little shot that he had. Like he was better with Carlin in those opportunities than he really ever was outside of the Indy 500 with Eddie Carpenter racing. And he pretty much had the, uh, you know, good three or four years with, with, with 10 or more races with Ed Carpenter mm-hmm. racing to prove himself never did. I mean, 104 starts one podium folks. And, and that came all the way back in 2016 yeah, like, with Dale coin racing. You so. can like Connor Daly as a person. Um, and, and I'm not saying I don't, but that has nothing to do with his racecraft. And he's not a good enough IndyCar driver to get the benefit of the doubt in this situation. And for him to speak out the way he did uh, was unnecessary, in my opinion. I'm firmly in the ECR camp with this. I, I don't feel sorry for Connor Daly. I think he got at, at more shots than a normal driver would in the IndyCar series. And he did not make the most of them to get a chance at a Penske or a Ganassi or a bigger chance at at an Andretti. He didn't take advantage of it. And that's why he's out of the series right now. I mean, I think the obvious comparison that everyone's thinking and and making as far as a a guy who you thought you potentially be out of a ride before Connors, Jack Harvey, Jack Harvey has 72 career starts. He has a podium, but he's also finished well as far as the, the full season standings before like he, he, I get it. He struggled this year. He struggled last year, but he was 13th in points in 2021 with Meyer Shank racing in a full-time ride. He he did. Connor Daly was, it was never a a guy running in the, you know, upper half of the field. Finishing 13th in points is upper half of the field. Yeah. Connor Daly's best points result. And now granted, I get it. He has limited full-time seasons. He was full-time with coin in 2016 full-time with Foyt in 2017, 18th both those years. Then you, then you go that was to... With smaller fields. Yes. Then you go to, you know, this year he's tw- 20th. Now, obviously, that's going to slip. 
Uh, last year he was 17th. He in 2021 was the combo with Carlin and Ed Carpenter. He was 18th. Same deal in 2020. He was 17th. So, I mean, Jack Harvey has a better full season result. He's had less full seasons, right? Yeah. Connor's looking at let's see one, two, three, four, five, six full seasons that he's run. Plus, you know, the a handful of races and several others. So, yes, the Indy 500 results are there. Absolutely. I mean, he's got three top tens in his last five races in Indy, where before that he had zero success. Now, that first top ten was at Andretti, and it, and it helps when you have your best qualifying position and you're with one of the better teams, and then you have a good finishing position. And then that continued over with, with Ed Carpenter Racing with a couple of good runs, especially the last three years where Led the most laps in 21, if not for Graham Ray Hall's tire. You know, he, he probably has a, a car that contends at the end. Um, last year, led laps, six. This year, wasn't leading laps, but was definitely in the, the upper half of the field most of the race. So, there are plenty of opportunities. I, I just think this is a situation where, again, off-track stuff matters. And unfortunately for him... I don't think that article is the thing that that started it. I think that may have been closer to the final straw. And that probably gives you an idea or a hint, plus the the radio, the team radio, and and reading between the lines and stuff is, that was the attitude that Connor Daly was taking in there, is I deserve better, my sponsor deserves better, and this is ridiculous. And eventually, his on-track results weren't good enough to deal with the off-track issues. Right, because plenty of drivers talk and maybe overstep, but the really good drivers, the successful drivers, the winning drivers can get away with it because of their stature, right? And they deliver on track. Connor Daly isn't doing that, and good, decent top ten runs at the five hundred wasn't enough to for Ed Carpenter put put up with the shenanigans anymore. And uh, and this is the result. And you look at Connor Daly, and have we seen the last of him as a full time driver in IndyCar? I kind of feel like the answer is yes. Yes, I, I do too. I think there are opportunities for Indy 500 one-offs. I would be shocked if he's back in an Indy car before the end of this season. That's just kind of the reality. But I think for him, I almost think he's better suited to other series. I mean, he's had more success in crazy one-off deals, you know, running in NASCAR, like in trucks, which he has a, a trucks one-off deal that he's doing with Nice Motorsports, who he's ran with in the past. Right. Uh, that's coming up at Mid Ohio on July eighth, which ironically is basically a week after IndyCar is there. He has the Nitro Cross race he's doing with Ryan Reinbold uh, coming up this weekend, um, and that's a, a rally series. So he'll have opportunities to try different things. And it wouldn't shock me if he goes, you know, the the NASCAR route, whether it's trucks or Xfinity or just kind of does different events. It wouldn't shock me if we find him on the TV broadcast. Sure. I mean, there, there are plenty of opportunities. Um, but make, make him interview Ed Carpenter. Yeah. 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 That goes. Yeah. That would be, <laughs> that would be something. But I, I think, and unfortunately for, for this, just based on how this played out, that it wasn't performance based. It was pretty sudden. I just don't see a full time future for him in IndyCar. Uh, with the caveat that if you get a new sponsor, yes, you can always find a way to make it work. When you look at at the, now, we've discussed the reasons why. Now we look at Ryan Hunter Ray and yes. bringing him in. And 
at the very least, when you look at Connor Daly and Renus VK, both of these drivers and uh, and Marshall Pruitt really backed this up. I don't know if it was the mailbag this week or a story that basically said neither of those drivers, particularly Renus VK now, are guys that give good feedback. Like they're they're dudes that if you give them a good car, they can be good. If you give them a bad car, they're going to be bad. They're they're mm-hmm. they can't really. Um, take a bad car and make it, make it make it mediocre or take a mediocre car and make it good or take a good car and make it great or really come back and be able to share and and data and and how it feels and and help really make a car better you need somebody that's going to be able to do that and that's what this team needs and they had two guys that were incapable of doing that now they have a veteran in Ryan Hunter Ray that's going to be able to sit in the seat and okay and say this is what's not working this is what we should do or this is what you guys can try and that is going to help immeasurably, not to, not just for this season, but as this team tries to take the next step and grow. And really, we're spinning their wheels with Renus VK. VK. I mean, you talk about a guy that a, a year ago, it sounded like every big team was at least inquiring about Renus VK. Now it is crickets, and there's a reason why. And I think his ability or inability to take a car and make it better on his own or help the team improve a car is a big reason why ECR needs somebody like that and Ryan Hunter Ray will be able to deliver. Now, I don't think he's going to step in this weekend at Road America and be contending for top five or a podium position. I think you'd be thrilled if he even cracks the top 10, even let alone the top half of the field. Totally. You, you just you need to see what he can do. And I think he was a guy who, when Andretti moved on from him, he was never going to just take any ride. I think he could have been an IndyCar last year. Definitely with Hunkos, he was offered, I think, a 500 ride. But he wants to put himself in good situations. He's a longtime friend with Ed Carpenter. They were teammates back in the Vision days, I think, in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. And he's going to do his best to basically be, think of it, of an in-season test mule to to evaluate and try to help them try different things, new things, because Renus VK should not be mired back in 15th in points. He's right. a talented driver, but for whatever reason, it seems like since uh, really the, the, the bike crash that, that he had, and yes, he's healed from that, but it, like since then, he's not been you know the driver that we thought he, he could be, and he's too talented to be mired back in 15th. I mean, he's a top half the field driver, let alone a potential top 10 you know, guy who could win a race or two if things go his way. And he's just been nowhere close to that form. And when you look at Renus VK and you can say, hasn't had it, hasn't been there, um, hasn't been as effective. He's still over half the races that Connor Daly has run in his career. What is it? 104 for Connor Daly, 53 for Renus VK. Renus VK has a win, which Connor Daly doesn't. And he has four podiums compared to just one in double the races for Connor Daly. So for those that are defending Connor Daly, oh, he didn't get a fair shake, and oh, he deserves better. 104 races, one podium. And don't come at me with inferior equipment, because Renus VK has done it with inferior equipment. And Plus, two poles, Connor had one. Yes, correct. I mean, look, the, the numbers speak for themselves. I get it. Fans love Connor Daly. He, he, he grew up you know, just north of Indianapolis. People in Indiana love Con- Connor Daly. I get it. Do I think he'll be back in the Indy 500? I I would think, and I would hope so. But as far as a full season ride, unfortunately, this has put him in a position where that's just going to be tough moving forward. It is what it is. Now, 
I did find it interesting that BitNile is a sponsor on his Nitro Cross car. Oh, really? For Dry and Reinbold. Yeah, it was a, a small sticker like on the front and the back. Not the not the primary sponsor, but I thought that was interesting. But it just the whole situation, it's unfortunate. And I don't think we thought we'd be talking about it with this driver, you know, post any 500 post Detroit. But here we are. And for Ed Carpenter Racing, this is a chance to evaluate everything. If Ryan hunter can't find anything, can't find speed, make them more competitive, that tells me you have a lot more problems at that team than you know, we, we previously thought we thought it was just, Oh, you know, they don't have like a a veteran presence and they don't have a guy who's, you know, been there, done that. If Ryan Hunter, I can't do it. I'm not saying no one can. I'm just saying that they really need a major regroup and rethink than in in the off season. Well, I think they do regardless of what happens with Ryan Hunter, but you know, going back to you for Connor Daly, you had to prove something over a hundred plus races in IndyCar and, and you had more than enough opportunities to do that even going back further and i mentioned joseph newgarden and will power you look at at tk who raced for what monon racing for a couple years before getting an opportunity and andretti green you look at elio in cart and raced for hogan racing and finished like well back it wasn't like an exceptional year in what was it 98 or 99 99 uh with hogan racing but he showed enough that roger penske said that's a guy we need to hire and did for 2000 and beyond is you have to show enough and the no sponsorship only goes so far. If you show enough, a top team is going to make you a paid driver. Unless maybe you're Chip Ganassi. That's a different story. But um, <laughs> that's that. In, for me, Connor Daly had more than enough opportunities to show that he deserved a big ride with a big team. Never did. And now with how this ended, you question whether he'll ever have a shot again. At, at getting that yeah it's just the unfortunate reality of, of everything but yeah elio was with bittenhausen as a rookie and hogan racing Woo! you saw improvement especially in the second year but he didn't he wasn't winning races but no he, he had one of the race this first he year had uh, a couple podiums he had a good stretch of races at 1.99 obviously the un, the very unfortunate death of, of Greg Moore opened up that Penske seat. Elio just got a lucky opportunity and he took advantage of it. And and that's what you kind of have to do in IndyCar in these situations. So Connor Daly out, Ryan Hunter Ray in. And by the way, the, the, the wording, the, mutually agreed to part ways. Have you ever said that to someone? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, the only time you've ever say mutually agreed to part ways is when you are not mutually agreeing to part ways, right? which is, is definitely the case in this respect. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, the, the wording obviously is very telling in a situation like that. No doubt. So that was the, the first big story of the week. Second thing, schedule news. Everyone's favorite topic. You found this gem of a story that had a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, I did. So the the first thing was that there's an article in Portuguese on a Brazilian website talking about how WEC is returning to Sao Paulo Interlagos in 2024. All right. Uh Whoop-de-doo. Well, thrown in at the very end of the article, because that's what always happens in these articles, is the promoter of that race, SP Turris, is negotiating the return of Formula Indy to the city also for 2024. Now, that means IndyCar. That's that's often yes. what they refer to, or yep. that's how it translates. 
but that's what they mean uh, for that. Now, it didn't specify if it's at Interlagos or if it's, you know, back on the, the street course. I don't think the street course kind of, I think Interlagos makes the most sense. I, I would think so, if too. it's around Sao Paulo. So that was kind of the, the first thing that we saw. And then the race had an article saying, it's more likely than not a new venue will feature on the IndyCar calendar in 2024. More than one option being considered outside of the U.S. That confirmed the Brazil story. And obviously, we already knew about Argentina. And these are quotes from Mark Miles in this story. Yes. So, which is amazing that nobody else picked these up. Um, But effectively saying, yes, uh, there are discussions going on. Now, when we look at it, we say Milwaukee's probably right now the most likely to be added. But we're talking about Argentina and adding that as just one international race is there a possibility that we add multiple international races multiple south american races do we have a bit of a south american tour of non-points paying races in the winter or whenever this happens where indycar goes to both argentina and brazil you go down to argentina you race Week after you go down Brazil, you just make it a, a two-week thing. You don't have to travel twice. You're hitting two countries that want IndyCar there, presumably, at the very least, Argentina. Or, uh, I mean, could this be a, a real possibility for 2024? Mark Miles saying the discussions include more than one option outside of the U.S. So, obviously, Argentina and, and Brazil, those tracks. And there are new tracks in the U.S. also being considered, so it's not certain that a new event would be outside of America, but... Miles saying, will anything be new? I'd say it's more likely than not. Talking about the 2024 calendar, which he says they expect to get our calendar out in August. So that would be kind of earlier, I think, than in years past, if I'm not mistaken. I think previously it's come out Usually around right before right Laguna now? Seca. Yeah. yeah in, in mid-September. So now Miles also uh, affirmed that if the international races would be non-championship affairs, which has been discussed... Uh, especially regarding Argentina, that is also at play. So that's something to keep in mind. Which we've heard also, Ricardo Juncos, I believe, was the one that said, you know, for year one, if and when this happens in Argentina, the first year would be a non-points-paying race with the expectation that it could turn into a points-paying race if everything goes according to plan. And that's kind of what I'm wondering if, if IndyCar is indeed looking at multiple locations, one in Argentina, one in Brazil, is would IndyCar dive into the deep end and go, yes, we're going from zero South America races to two in one year? Or is it more likely that they add one one year and 24 and then add the second in 25? I would hope they just do both and (laughs) and take care of it. But yeah, I think it's more likely, especially if it's going to be an exhibition the first year, you just do that one. But it's, it's better for the teams to do both on back-to-back weeks i think that's kind of an 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 ideal scenario and do you put this you know before saint pete do you put it in a gap like you're obviously not going to do it in the middle of the summer right i I don't think that's an issue because you're talking southern hemisphere right so that kind of changes things i just don't think right now there's anywhere in the schedule you could slot it into i really think you need open dates before and after a visit internationally so you need like a three-week stretch let's say Let's say, for instance, you went to Road America and then you had a three-week break. That was what you would need to insert a a, a race. And if I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the only more than two-week break we have in the season is right after St. Pete. So maybe one slot's in there. But I, th- I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, the, the schedule 
is nice in the sense that there's no more more than a two week gap in between races outside of that first one and second one. So my thing is more with the teams is can you convince the teams to go, okay, we're going to go from zero international races to two. And my concern is too with that Brazil race, or let's say whatever's first Brazil or Argentina is you have a big wreck and you need to rebuild a car or you need another chassis. Like how much are you taking down there? It makes sense. I guess if you're going down there to, to do it all in one fell swoop, but to ask these teams, I guess, to go from zero international races to two international races and, and break it down with, with cars you need to take, parts, personnel, all that stuff to go from zero to two of those races. I, I don't know if it's a better uh, approach for the teams to go, okay, we're going to add one and see how it goes and how you guys handle it, learn some things, and then next year, 25, we're going to add another one and do two of them. I, I just don't know the mindset of teams right now. You better hope you get someone like DHL to <laughs> pay the freight costs because I think that's that's kind of the key thing. Well, you want that. Argentina or Brazil to pay the yes. effectively pay yeah. the travel True. costs is what you want uh, at this point. But interesting, great find by you to to find that race article, which I I just don't feel like a lot of people have have picked up on because there was a lot of great tidbits in it. Yeah, the the other tidbit I want to get to in the article talking about hundred days to Indy, which wrapped up last week. But Mark Miles saying uh, the the streaming numbers are really solid. Not saying what they are, but he said they were higher than what the two hundred thousand yes, average on TV uh, on TV, which is is good. That's that's very good. And he he says I can tell you they're greater than the network audiences, and uh, the CW app numbers are positive, and and they've been growing. So that's positive as far as this series returning. It's not likely it will continue in the same format this year. Highly likely in some form or another, season two will happen. So, so positive you, news there. When you look at the six-episode series, and this was maybe my issue with it, a lot of great stuff in the six episodes, but you treated it almost like a week-to-week documentary for the races, and then it just stops mid-season. Like... If it was everything leads up to Indy, then that'd be fine. But early in the series, at least, you talked a lot about St. Pete, right? And then you talked a lot about Long Beach. Like, Indy, it was more of a race-by-race race thing, and then after Indy, you're done. And it was almost kind of kind of odd, is you didn't treat it with the singular focus of the Indianapolis 500. You treated it, at times, like a year-long series breakdown. And it's gone. So it's almost left incomplete based on some of the storylines you followed. So that where I found, and, and maybe it was more just trying to find its footing, but it's a hundred days to Indy, not a hundred, you know, hundred days of the season or blah, blah, blah. But they almost tried to do that here. Here's new drivers with this team. And this is what's going blah, 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 blah. And here's St. Pete and here's Barber and here's Long Beach and here's Indy. And then we're done. It just, you look at Drive to Survive, and I'm not saying IndyCar needs to be Drive to Survive in Formula One, but it, it it recaps an entire season. But the season-long championship is bigger in F1 than it is Ag- in IndyCar. Agreed. I'm just saying if you're going to focus on Indy, which I always think the singular focus is, you wrap everything around Indianapolis. And yeah, you you you, you start talking about the drivers at St. Pete and blah, 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 but the singular focus is Indianapolis. And preparing for the 500 and everything that goes into it for the three months of the season leading up to the Indianapolis 500. I, I don't think that was the focus of the program uh, at times. And I think that 
that killed the momentum because you were fine. You were developing storylines that were going to develop and, and, and deliver over the course of the season, but now you don't have an avenue to tell the rest of those stories. Yeah, that is, is a downside, but that's, I mean, that's IndyCar as a whole where there's a lot of interest for two, three weeks out of the year. And then after that, <laughs> that's it, true. It Nobody knows anything, anything yeah. else is going on, o- but outside of the people listening to this podcast and, and the people, you know, the million or so people tuning in, to every race yeah. outside of the Indy 500. I mean, that, that's just the reality. My question, yeah. My question to you is what do we need to see to make us think that hundred days to Indy worked in, in the vein of what we look at it as is trying to get new fans. Is it ratings? Is it attendance at races? Is it more social media presence from random people? Is it, a couple stories written that say about people that never watched IndyCar and now are because of the show. What what do we need to see to say, yes, season one of 100 Days to Indy worked in the sense of what they wanted to achieve? Yeah, I think I think it's a combination. Now, I think and Bruce Martin had a really good article on Forbes.com kind of recapping the Indy 500 and just a lot of numbers. And he, he had this to say, video views for the Indy 500 were up 315%. Engagements were up 93%. Also talking about viewership in Latin America. They had five uninterrupted hours on race day. And TV Cultura, uh, the the broadcaster in Latin America, record overall audience of 1 million viewers. Race also on ESPN and streaming as well. ESPN estimates they had 400,000 viewers in Brazil alone. Social media views in Latin America for both Portuguese and Spanish speaking audiences were the highest ever. In Brazil alone, they had over 2 million views on social media. So I think it's not just in America, right? And now I get it. 100 Days to Indy is not available outside of America. Now, once those licenses go through, that's up to Vice Media to, to work through that. That will help. But I'm just saying you had a, a good audience for the Indy 500 and the video views and the engagements. That factors in, obviously, the U.S. audience. So I think you saw some clear growth in the fact that the indie market wasn't available to stream on Peacock. And yet... You were just 3,000 off last year when it was. That's very telling in a positive direction Yeah, uh, of how strong the, the streaming platforms become. Definitely some positive indicators there. I, I don't know. Maybe it's three months from now. Maybe it's six months from now. Maybe it's a year from now of what do we see tangibly to look at the 100 Days to Indy and say, yes, it's working. I, I don't know the answer. I, I'm just I'm kind of putting out there. Uh, maybe IndyCar has these metrics that say this is what we want to see coming out of the 100 Days to Indy. Because, yeah, people can watch, but is it the same 200,000 people, all of them people also turning into your races? And you're not really growing the audience in that sense. Or does it tap into a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't be watching? I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't know what the goals for IndyCar is. But I hope at some point we can examine it and have enough evidence to say, yeah, it worked because this or it didn't work because of this. And speaking of uh, people tuning into races, USA Network this weekend for IndyCar. Next, what, three races, right? Yes, next three races at Road America. So taking a look at the schedule this weekend for IndyCar, 4 to 5.15, all these times Eastern is practice one on Friday. On Saturday, practice two, 10.55 to 11.55 Eastern in the morning. Qualifying 1.55 to 3.25 on Saturday. And then you'll have a warm-up session, 10.15 to 10.45 on Sunday. Uh, all the usual outlets, Peacock, IndyCar Live internationally, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio. And then the race, the, the window for the broadcast, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern. 
uh, USA Network uh, for TV, obviously Peacock, IndyCar Radio, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM as well for that, and the green flag around one fifteen or so. Perfect a time amount of time for a pre-race. Good yes. 10, 10 minutes or so. And, and I have been told that they're perhaps looking at a record crowd this year. It's supposed to be great weather from mm-hmm. what I've seen from uh, IndyCar Weatherman. And again, a repave, which means we'll likely see a, a track record fall, which at Road America is really impressive because you, you go back to the cart cars of the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, that it would be very impressive. I, I get it that the cars are different and they don't have the, the horsepower the cars had back then, but still uh, very, very interesting and some some stats and some notes for Road America. First off, this from Calhoun 98 on Twitter uh, an IndyCar stat that amazes me. Scott Dixon has not qualified on the pole on a road or street course since 2016. That was Watkins Glen for the Labor Day weekend. Uh, also, don't forget that there will be some some livery changes to keep in mind. Uh, Jack Harvey with the MyJack car. So Jack and the MyJack car and then Vivid Clear RX on Christian Lungard's car. So it's a green car. You will not miss it. It, it. It's like the green, like the bright Kelly green. So you will not miss his car this weekend. And then our three key stats, courtesy of Chad 200 on Twitter for Road America. Graham Rahal, two podiums, most top 10 finishes. Joseph Newgarden, two wins, three poles, four podiums, 149 laps led. The next highest is 70 laps. And Colton Herta, one pole, three front row starts. He's finished eighth, fifth, fifth, second, and fifth, but has never led a lap at Road America. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, <laughs> we keep looking at, is this the weekend for Colton Herta to break out and end his year-plus-long drought without a victory? Um, he has the results. Hasn't been able to get the lead or win a race at Road America. Could he get over the top? You feel at some point it's coming for Colton Herta, yet here we are continuing to wait. Yes. So time to pick winners. I feel like this one's always tough. Uh, Road America is an interesting race to me because I will admit I've not been. I'd I'd love to go. I need to get out there sometime. It is one that people who go rave about it. And when I watch it on TV, it's, it's a huge track. The drivers love it. The fans who are there love it. I, I think it's a track, though, that I don't know if it's just me, but maybe doesn't show well on TV or is it's hard because, oh, you're looking at, at a race that's what, like 45 laps. So, yeah, it, it seems short. It seems short, because, even though the laps are so long. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a difficult, I think, place to get a feel of the track without being there or at, at least experiencing one. So when you watch it, you can. You know, identify places that you've seen firsthand, but you and I, neither of us have been there, so it's kind of tough. But um, in terms of picking a winner, uh, man, it's um, it's tough to go against Alex Pillow at this point. Right. Um, you look at the top of the standings, and you say it was Marcus Erickson, Joseph Newgarden. Uh, I'll try to mix it up a little bit. I'll go Scott McLaughlin to win this race. Ah, that was... How is that yours? Yeah, so I'm going to go with a different Penske guy. I'm going to go with... Will Power. He hasn't won a race this year. I think he's been pretty steady, um, but just hasn't had that breakthrough race performance. And, and I think that could happen this weekend. It, it's crazy, though. Will Power and Scott Dixon still haven't won a race yet this year. Hmm. Yeah, it's got to happen at some point, right? Yeah, right. And, and Dixon's fourth in the standings. He's been very consistent. Will Power, uh, outside of Indy, has been very solid. So, I mean, you, you think eventually they're going to have a breakthrough. Yeah, let's... Uh... Let's hope it comes. Uh, inevitably, it will. 
but and, um, and to correct myself, fifty-five laps. There so. you go. Uh, we're that we're rapidly short. approaching the midway point of the season, so some, yeah. some heavy hitters without a win yet. Absolutely. Well, if you agree or disagree with us, especially on any of the silly season stuff, let us know. You can find us newtrackrecordpodcast.com while you're there. Sign up for the email list. You can also, and that's free, so thanks everyone who signed up. You won't miss any episodes or special announcements. Also, check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale there. Uh, you can also follow us on social media, IndyCar Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. You can email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. Support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Xavier Rob Stitch and several others for their generous support each and every month. Again, just $1 a month. That's, that's all you need to be a supporter for us. And as always, you can follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, CastBox, whatever you prefer, all for free. Looking at this real quick, we're talking about Joseph Newgarden, talking about Road America. No, nothing groundbreaking here, but uh, TMJ4, which is the NBC affiliate out of Milwaukee, uh-huh. got an inter- had an interview. Did you see this story uh, with Joseph Newgarden? Basically asking him questions, of course, asked him about the Milwaukee Mile. And um, Joseph Newgarden was coy, said, I, look, I don't know. This is a quote. I don't know. There are decisions. Those are decisions away above my pay grade. No idea what we're doing in 24. If it was my decision. We'd be going to Milwaukee Mile, Elkhart Lake, et cetera, et cetera. I hope somebody gets that done. If we could go, if we could run at Milwaukee and Road America, it would be a dream come true. So no insight there. Funny you say that. Oh, really? What yeah, do you got? I, I forgot to uh, get to this. So. As far as the Milwaukee Mile, a very reliable source oh, yeah, you're tells me that the Milwaukee Mile will be back in 2024 as part of a three-year deal. Now, it is unclear as far as who will promote it, but most likely be a Penske Entertainment promoted race. So that's what I have been told. Which is, in in what we've heard and, and been told and all that stuff... That's the track that's most likely to be added for 24. Yes. Now, the real question is, do Where? any tracks go away? Well, I think you and I are hoping that the second yes. uh, road course race goes away from, from IMS. I, I was I, I was kidding around given. with you as we were talking about our predictions and saying, yeah, Milwaukee's back, Argentina maybe, Brazil maybe, and adding a third road course race <laughs> at Indianapolis. But the hope is that we go away from that second one. Now, do they want to keep it until they get to a solid like 20 and then maybe subtract it perhaps? Um, do they want to play that game where you're adding one, taking one away? Um, I think it's a serviceable enough uh, race. I just don't get excited about the second road course race at all. The only reason why I get excited about the first road course race is because, you know, the 500 pretty close and practice starts three days after uh, the event. But um at right now, I would say Milwaukee, in my opinion, is maybe the only domestic addition to the 2024 schedule. Oh, yeah, I, I would say that's very clear. I think the second IMS road course race goes away only on the simple fact that NASCAR likely will on return the to the Oval in tw- 2024. And maybe they'll alternate. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like that race is it's there because the TV money's there. Yes. I just I, I think they're trying everything they can. It's just not a draw. Well, it's easy to say not a draw compared to what it used to. Correct. be. Correct. It's easy to say for people. Well, they, they just shouldn't be racing at the Brickyard. IMS and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and Roger Penske and IndyCar 
want NASCAR at IMS because that's a fat check you're getting for the TV deal that is helping subsidize IndyCar, basically. I guarantee you that some of the money they're getting from that Brickyard race um, with the media money is helping the IndyCar side of things. So for IndyCar, you should be hoping that that NASCAR race stays as long as possible, but perhaps even in perpetuity at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Because that's some cash money. Yeah. You want that huge check talking, what, $20, 25000000 million? Yeah, isn't it like something like $20, 25000000 million per race yes. without selling a single seat? That That's without yes. any ticket sales. It's a straight-up eight-figure check that you're being handed from by NASCAR. You cannot turn that no, down. No, not at all. Mailbag time and several things to get to, obviously, regarding silly season stuff from last week. Uh, first off, uh, I just posted that the Ed Carpenter, Connor Daly you know, split happened right after like probably a half hour after we recorded last week and several funny replies Uh, i am analog ha 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 oh man i just listened to the episode you guys really said you want to see some silly season stuff as your outro that we did we didn't know it'd be coming literally minutes if not a few hours after we recorded (laughs) uh daniel scm 2004 uh saying talking about connor daly he's been underperforming for a while Vicky Lynn, 26, saying not cool. Hunter's Way, 67, not shocking. Daly hasn't done much in his time there. This could be it for him in a full-time ride in the series. I I, I tend to disagree as far as the full-time ride. P. Gaynor, 14. I mean, I know he hasn't had the results, but neither has the team, really. He did well at Indy and brought the team their main sponsor in BitNile. And then I'm Analog uh, saying, I was just thinking it's probably about time for New Track Record to be uploading a, a new episode. Yeah, we uploaded it, and then news broke. That's how that works. We considered it an emergency podcast, but, but then again, we thought, all due respect to Connor Daly, it's Connor Daly. It's not Scott Dixon. No, it's, it's not it's a not shocking Joseph retirement Newgarden, right. or a shocking split. Yeah. Now, if if that would have happened with multiple drivers, yes, I sure. think it would have been under consideration. Yeah. Uh, this from NCAPTEEN185. Feel bad for Connor. He brings BitNile sponsorship cash to entire ECR program. Gets crapped on, not to mention VK is just a young Grosjean, fast, unreliable, makes bad mistakes, and always crashes. I, I mean, I feel like it's the team at this point. It's beyond just any one particular driver, unfortunately. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, I, I think Connor Daly thought very much like that texter is I brought the the sponsor to the team so I can be maybe a bit more vocal than I should be or... I deserve more than what I'm getting, blah, blah, blah. And eventually, Ed Carpenter got tired of it. Uh, Sunshine Cougar saying, both Zach Veach and Connor Daly are great drivers and good men. I know they'll find success in racing. My prayers are with them both. Yeah, I mean, it's it's brutal to have this. It's a tough situation to bring in a sponsor to a sport. racing is tough, right? I mean, that's the thing. Um, Both of them brought in sponsors to the series. And GameBridge, who knows what the future is. It holds for bit nigh on the sport, but Gamebridge has become a series wide sponsor. Yes. At the Speedway. Presenting on, sponsor for yes. the Speedway, ads on, on broadcast, all that stuff. Like like and, and Zach Veach very much brought that company into the sport. So that even hits harder than where we're at with Connor Daly because of how much Gamebridge has grown within the sport. But that's life, man. This is in regards to Ryan Hunter Ray being the uh, the driver named to replace Connor for the rest of the season in the number 20 car with Bit Nile. Uh, Jeremy from HPG saying pretty much an upgrade in every way. DC Soda saying 
still very weird to me that this happened now. Figured Carpenter would be looking for a newer driver for the future, but I guess not with this. Very interesting. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, Lundquist would be the, the obvious choice. He tested with them recently. I think he's tested you know multiple times, but I think it just comes down to you want someone experienced to provide the feedback to see you know what can and can't be done to, to make it work. And I think that's a positive with letting the story ferment a little bit as opposed to rapidly uh, recording a podcast because we're able to understand the situation a lot more now than we would have immediately after the announcement, right? We would have been wondering what the hell is going on, what happened. It must be performance-based. Uh, Linus Lundquist is going to be in the seat. It makes too much sense, blah, blah, blah. Well, then we wait. We get uh, little pieces here or there. You piece it together and you make sense of what happened behind the scenes and then it makes sense with Ryan Hunter Ray coming in, particularly with what the, the team is looking for and what it needs to, to build a foundation for 24. So really stepping back and letting the story slowly come out and evolve and develop was a little bit better than us rapidly um, recording a podcast. Because even if we would have, we still would have been having the same conversation on this podcast because of what we've learned since then. One interesting aspect for this I didn't really think about this will be Ryan Hunter's first time driving a Chevy car going all the way back to what, 2013, I believe. Wow. Yeah. So, well, well, no, any 500 with Ryan Reinbold. So That's never mind true. that. <laughs> never mind. Not, not as much of a, of a reach. Okay. This reply. So I posted which track most likely to be added to the 2024 IndyCar schedule. And on the poll, 58% of you said Milwaukee, nearly 33% Argentina, 2% Brazil. And just under 7% said the IMS road course three. It, that got a lot of votes. Yeah. But uh, big D cart saying no way. Milwaukee is coming back. Stop living in the 1990s. And I will say, well, you have cart in your Twitter <laughs> username. So. so they are living in the 1990s. Yeah. They, I uh, guess Milwaukee, it does go. Both Milwaukee's ways. coming back. For next in, in, in all jokes and all seriousness. Yes. So that wraps up the mailbag news and notes time and several items to get to this week. Uh, I mentioned Road America got a repave. Well, Laguna Seca has completed their repave for the 2.2-mile road course, so look for that to be a factor when IndyCar goes there. Uh, interesting deep-dive read on Detroit, uh, put out by the Detroit GP. 150,000 fans uh, brought to downtown Detroit over the course of the weekend. Obviously, reserve seating sold out, um, talking about different factors, but all in all, it was a good event. I, I wish it showed better on TV. I think outside of pit lane, it, it did not show as well as I would have guessed. And I think they can add a lot more stands next year. I just hope there's demand. Well, it was, it was an interesting track. Yeah, it was. And, and you brought up a good point and, and uh, listeners brought up good points. And even in the, in the mailbag, it just, it didn't feel unique to Detroit in a lot of ways. If they wouldn't have shown the Renaissance center a half dozen times, you would, it had no Detroit feel whatsoever. Right. You watch St. Pete, and you can just feel the energy of St. Pete. You watch Nashville, and you feel the energy of the Music City, and they represent it well. Detroit just felt like, eh. And I don't know as much if it's the circuit's fault and where it's being run, as much as maybe production fault. To to You, you really need to um, create a unique opportunity to present Detroit. And gosh, I, don't, I think we only got maybe one overlook over to um canada yeah, yeah yeah we got a couple we got one but it was like you know 
when you're on Belle Isle, they were constantly showing the the river and boats and the island and all this stuff, and, and it just felt like there wasn't energy. And maybe, quite honestly, part of it is where they're racing. It's not Det- downtown Detroit proper. It's around the Renaissance Center, which is not downtown. So maybe that hurts it, but I don't know if it's what the track and the and the promoters need to do and work together with NBC to try to really have a better presentation of showcasing Detroit next year. Yeah, I, I think so too. Moving on in news and notes, James Hinchcliffe will be a guest driver at MX five cup coming up at Watkins Glen. So that's pretty cool. It wouldn't surprise me if we see him back in IndyCar next year either. I just, I, know, I have a feeling that opportunity could come back and present itself for him. Uh, other notes to get to Alex Pillow. Had a test last week with McLaren F1 in Did Budapest. Did we ever get any idea of how that went? No, I never saw. Do you think that's a anything. good sign or a bad sign? Or I mean, no it's just, sign. <laughs> I'd say no sign. It's just part of their driver development program. So, well, I, I also do think that Formula One, like everything, is a little bit more secretive than yes. IndyCar and their tests. Jenna Fryer, the AP. Word on the street is Ray Hall Letterman landing in has fired a few engineers and Graham's crew chief. So look for that to this be weekend? a factor this weekend. <laughs> See if certain people are no longer in certain positions. Yeah. Um, Will Power slamming F1 saying you simply know Max is going to win every race if something doesn't go wrong. I mean, he's not wrong. Nope. He's not wrong at all. Uh, NFL games could be a possibility at Daytona International Speedway. The Jacksonville Jaguars talking. Uh, they're trying to do a renovation of TIAA Bank Field, and then they would have to move to a different venue. I think this is a long shot, but it certainly would be interesting. Be terrible sight lines if yes. you're sitting in the grandstands. It, it absolutely would. And then uh, a sad note, uh, Joseph Newgarden, uh, one of his uh, crew guys, or excuse me, this is with Will Power, uh, his fueler, I believe, uh, lost his wife unexpectedly last week. And there's a GoFundMe that uh, a lot of IndyCar drivers have tweeted out. And, and the good news is they've they've raised a lot of money for this uh, as of this recording on Thursday night, just shy of $55,000. But uh, this was very unexpected uh, when his wife passed away back on June 6th. And so. very, I think the initial... Uh, goal for the GoFundMe was like forty, forty-five thousand yes. or something. They've raised that now to eighty thousand because they've eclipsed it. So yeah, a uh, terrible situation, and uh, I, it, it's great to see when when the IndyCar community comes together for a common cause. And this is the latest example. Unfortunately, it's in such a, a terrible situation, but still great to see uh, within IndyCar. And Steph Wilson. Uh, tweeting three weeks since having two titanium rods and eight screws put into my back. First few days, it was hard to even get out of the hospital bed, let alone walk. Made it home to Colorado, and this is back on June 14th today. I made it out onto my usual run route, but just to walk. So he's making some progress. So that is good news there. And that leads us into tweets of the week. And first one from Richter52 on Twitter. Charles Leclerc is now the least successful Alfa Romeo driver that was at the team between 2018 and 2021. Marcus Erickson retweeting that. So I thought that was pretty funny because uh, Erickson, you know, won the Indy 500 and Antonio Giovinazzi uh, won the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Yep. Um, and then uh, Kimi Raikkonen, who is an F1 World Champion. So 
<laughs> yeah, uh, that was pretty funny. And then Steph Wilson tweeting, when you have a fractured back and your wife casually tells you her back hurts. <laughs> yeah, I got that interestingly a couple days ago when we were talking about my kidney stone that I, I, I never passed it. So I don't know if it disintegrated in there or is growing to monumental proportions. Like the guy, what was it, Sri Lanka, you said, that had a baseball-sized yes. kidney stone removed? Yes. Uh, hopefully that's not me um, in a couple months. But um, she asked, you know, we were talking about it, and I said, oh, you know, uh, I would have had to pee it out, and it would be a, a, a excruciating pain. And she started talking about childbirth with me, and I said, well, yeah, but... And then she's... And then she's <laughs> I, I couldn't get... A, after that, I was, I was doomed to the conversation. I learned... To just let it go because I was never going to win that because I was like, yeah, but it comes you're, out of such a tiny you're hole. You're not like, going to no, win that. I'm one. not going to win. You're that not going to win. So that uh, very much the situation was. But that is Wilson. as close as you can get. Yeah, yeah. And, and I they saw say, how much pain you were in. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. But uh, to, yeah, uh, I was never going to uh, win that battle for sure. Much no. like Steph Wilson's wife is not going to win that battle. No, absolutely not. All right, time for our random split air driver of the week. Uh, we're going to fertile ground here and uh, into the mid 2000s of cart and going with 2004 and Gaston Mezzacane. I've actually heard of this person. Really? Yes. Uh, I don't know how. From Argentina. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Gaston Hugo Mazacane is his full name, and he's Argentinian, and in 2004 was his loan season in open wheel. Raced for Dale Coyne, um, raced for most of the season. His highest finish was sixth at Toronto that season. He didn't race at Long Beach. He didn't, didn't race at Monterey, and then later in the season didn't go to Surfers or Mexico City, but uh, raced the domestic portion of the cart season that year, Champ Car outside, uh, and also went to Vancouver and Toronto, which and Toronto, Toronto which is where his result. sixth was. Uh, but that was it. But other than that, he raced, um, and this was a couple years after he raced one full season in Formula One um, with Minardi, and was with Prost in 2001 for a couple races. Um, and did some uh, Formula 3000 in the late 90s. But overall, that, that was it for uh, Mr. Mazacone, or Mazacane. Uh, 21 total entries in Formula 1, never uh, scored a point in 21 races. But what's interesting, you look at his stats, especially in 2000 with Minardi, with the way scoring's done now, where tenth place earns points, he he actually would have had a handful of points. He, he had, had a, a couple of tenths, an eighth, an so. eighth at the European Grand Prix, which was I think at, at the Nurburgring that year, yeah, uh, in Germany. So yes. yeah, he'd be scoring points if it was uh, if it was the current scoring. But um, yeah, to twenty one Grands Prix, but only that single season in Champ Car two thousand four with Dale Coyne. Um, he is still a ripe old age of 48 years old from La Plata, Buenos Aires in Argentina and has also raced in Turismo Caratera. And let's see. Isn't that the same, one of the series that uh, Augustine Canapino's raced in? Yeah, right? it's, it's stock cars. Okay. It's basically what it is. Um, and um, that's about it. Uh, looked at it. He, he, he tested for... Eros, which was a former Formula One team, then settled at Prost. And this is interesting. He beat Karts Oriol Servia for the Prost spot. 
Oh, it was yeah, announced, Serbia. I remember Serbia did, a, yeah. did an F1 test. Was announced as the second driver in January of 2001. Uh, Elaine Prost fired him by using a performance clause in his contract, and the vacancy was filled by Luciano Berti, who had recently been sacked from Jaguar. Who? I have no idea. Uh, Jaguar. So Justin Wilson raced for Jaguar uh-huh. uh, at one point, and Bobby Rahal was like team principal, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. for a bit. So that, that whole Jaguar team, I mean, cars look great. Justin Wilson had some impressive outings, but it was kind of a disaster. This is an interesting take. Is uh, The German Grand Prix was a relative high point for him in 2000. Uh, outqualified his teammate. Um, and then later in that season at Indianapolis for the U.S. Grand Prix, famous, famously overtook Mika Heikkinen on that race, was up to third, and then pitted for the first time to put on dry tires and ran over a pick crew member Ooh. and dropped out of the race later. Uh, he finished 11 of the 17 races that year, ranked third among driver with the most kilometers raced. So uh, not bad. Not, not too the shabby. 2004 2000. champ car season is like a who's who of random split air drivers of the week. When I'm thinking I'm looking running... at this list and I'm like, I haven't heard of like half these guys, but somehow I've ter- I've heard of Gaston Mezzacane. And that's simply probably because he raced in F1 in the early 2000s. It's a <laughs> that's just the only I, reason why. Just when I think we, we're, we're, we're going to be running out here soon, I open 2003, 2004 Champ Car and be like, oh my God, we, the, the, we're going to go till 2030. There is a treasure trove of drivers here. Absolutely. But anyway, this week's random split era driver of the week, uh, Mr. Gaston Mazacane. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week. To recap Road America and all the happenings on and off the track. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.